This morning, uh, let's uh, look at our, our text here as we continue through Luke chapter 21. Uh, we're going to be looking here in verse 9 through verse 11 as our focus this morning. Uh, but to begin with, we'll start from, uh, the, from verse 5 and just read through these next few parts just to get our context back in order. It says, Luke chapter 21, verse 5, Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come when not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, the time has drawn near. therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights, and great signs from heaven. Let's ask God's blessing as we look into his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we are reminded again of the words of John 16. We read that you will make known to us your word, and teach us and guide us through the Holy Spirit. So today, dear God, we ask that that would be, be true as we look to the future, as we look to what you have for us now. Lord, help us to understand and to grow in our life and our walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking here at Jesus' discussion of what is to come and what life is to be like following his first coming. Excuse me just one moment. So following his first coming, and so he's given us this, this picture of what is going to come, what life will be like, and uh, what his second coming will be like. Now when we come to verses like verse 9 through 11, which we're, we're going to focus on and think through a little bit this morning, um, these are the texts that people most often think about when it comes to the last days. You start talking about end times, you start talking about the second coming, and most people's minds uh, skip past the idea of the false teachers with the exception of the Antichrist and jump straight to the, the cataclysmic events of what the end times will be like. And we, we think about all of the, the apocalyptic sort of ideas and pictures that are presented. I mean, you consider how many, how many movies and things like that get made on the premise of apocalyptic disaster or uh, war, which leaves the world uh, empty and barren, and, and looking at the, the end of the world is uh, coming by this, this great cataclysmic event of some sort. Maybe it's a giant tidal wave, or, or a huge earthquake, or the nuclear war. And uh, you know, We've had all sorts of movies and entertainment brought to us with these, these ideas of apocalyptic end. And that's how most people and how most people often think about the end times is we, we jump straight to this idea of, of earthquakes and famine and pestilence and plague and disease just overrunning the world. 
In fact, at almost every extraordinary event we have in history, uh, the minds of people quickly turn to talk about the end times. Uh, you know, this pandemic we've had run across the world has, has quickly started people talking about Christ coming again and, and what the end will be like. And is this part of it at all? It's quickly reads there. And, and many Christians begin to read Revelation again and start thinking about prophecy. But as Jesus talks here about the last days and in uh, describing for us what comes, he talks here about his return. He mentions in this part two very important truths, two important things that are really what I want to spend our time thinking about this morning. As we read through these verses in verse 9 through verse 11, as he talks about the wars and the, the rumors of wars that come and the pestilence and the famine and, and all of this that comes on. There are two, two statements he makes through here which are particularly important to us as God's people. Now remember, when Jesus said these things, he wasn't talking to the greater crowd of people. When Jesus said these things, he was talking to the small group of the twelve, possibly even just a portion of the twelve here. So he's speaking to us about what's to come as the people of God. And so we read here in verse 9, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. That's the first thing that we want to take our time to think about uh, this morning is, is that statement. Do not be terrified, uh, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Two things Jesus tells us about these times is, do not be afraid of these events. And the other thing is that these do not signal the immediate end. We're going to take another passage of scripture to help us a little bit this morning in understanding that and what Jesus means by these things. So we'll be referring a lot here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, so you might want to turn over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to take some words here because Paul describes some important information here and, and helps us understand a little bit here about why Jesus can say things like, you will see all these events, but it doesn't mean the end is right now. And also why we can look at what's going on in the world and all of this and believe what Jesus says about not being afraid by these events. First Thessalonians 5, I'm going to read the first 11 verses here and we're going to take some things from it as we go through. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. The first thought I want us to, to think about right this morning is don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. And this has to do with the idea of Jesus telling us here what's going to, to happen and what is coming forward and saying these, just because you see these signs doesn't mean that the end is now. There is things to go through. This is the character of the age. This is how it is working. Paul describes it for us here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and he uses these uh, beautiful scripture um, pictures like we often get of light and dark. And he talks about being in darkness. He says, we live in darkness. This is a dark world. We'll see that as we go through a little bit here in a moment. But what Jesus is reminding us of, and what Paul reminds us here, is this first, that calamity. So these these great events, the, the earthquakes and the famines and the pestilence and the pandemics and, and all of these things that happen around the world, calamity isn't unique to our age. So this isn't something, so as we look around our world now and we see the wars going on and how quick they are and the small wars and the large wars and we see hear of the earthquakes and the, the floods and, and all of these things passing around us, this isn't something which is unique to our generation or to our age. This is something which has characterized the age of the world from beginning to end. We need to heed Jesus' words that natural disasters and these things which he describes here aren't the end. When Matthew and Mark describe these things and and record this sermon, they say the end is not yet. The end is not yet. These are signs, these are characteristics of the last days. Which, of course, as we've said before, the last days begin with the first coming of Jesus. This is an age, the one we live in now, this is an age which the Jews weren't expecting. That's why this is a little unusual for the disciples as they're, they're hearing it. They weren't expecting this, this middle age, this long stretch of last days in which we are living. Now we've become more and more aware of many of these things due to our modern technologies and our modern communications where we can, we can detect more earthquakes and, and tsunamis and, and we see more wars and we hear about skirmishes and things so much more easily today. But these types of events have characterized our history. In fact, the historians uh, Josephus and Tacitus, who were both first century historians, Josephus, Jewish, Tacitus, a Roman, were historians of the time in the first century. Both of them, in their writings, the Annals and, and the History of the Jews, both of them record many wars and many disasters and distresses in the first centuries. So these types of things, they aren't unique to our age. All of these events must come to pass, Jesus says, as part of God's preparation for the end. 
In fact, when Matthew records this sermon, he uh, adds the statement in there in verse 8 of Matthew 23, all these are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows. But while these are not unique to our age, while trouble and trial and and pestilence and, and calamity aren't unique to our age, what does seem to be clear through Scripture is that as the time of, the come, of his coming draws near, the intensity of these events does in fact increase. Climax of all of this will be intense. So we must look at this from a big picture view. We need to see the, the big picture. See, all of these events, when we're talking about wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilences and and all of these types of things. All of these things are results of sin. They all come to this earth. They all come to us because the effect that sin has in this world. From the moment that we as mankind fell into sin, the whole creation felt the results You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3 when when sin comes into the world and the effects it has not just on humanity but on every part of God's creation. In fact, Paul reminds us of this in in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Let me read a few verses for you here. When Paul thinks on these things, he says in Romans 8 and verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is, the earth, the creation of God, is waiting for the final salvation of God's people. Verse 20. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. He speaks of the earth as as groaning. And like a, a, a woman in childbirth, Matthew, Jesus used the same word. So when we read a moment ago, referred in a moment ago to Matthew, where he says, all these are the beginnings of sorrows, uh, the beginnings of birth pains. Uh, very literally. So there's this picture of uh, this describing of the coming of Christ like like a woman in labor. You both use this description and as you know, as the, the birth draws near, there's the contractions that come and the, the pain that comes and as it gets closer and closer, they, they become more intense and they become closer together as the end approaches. And then, of course, the result of all the pain in the end is a glorious end. So all of these characteristics, these things which are described in the word of God and that Jesus gives us here, will grow in intensity and will grow in frequency as the end approaches. Now, I'm not going to speculate this morning on the number of calamities per century or or whether we're seeing things increase or decrease. Those are really kind of hard to to pick and predict on on what we do, and that's not my area of expertise. So I'm not going to try and and predict and say, here's all the numbers and here's all the facts. But what I do know is this, that the Bible describes a very intense end 
a very intense end just before Christ comes again. The end which is filled with with catastrophe, which is filled with death and destruction and pestilence and trouble for the whole earth. In fact, as you read through Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6, it describes a war. And this is just one part of the end times that's described. It describes a war in Revelation chapter 6 in which one quarter of the earth's population will die. Now, in terms of statistics, if I do understand it right, World War I and World War II had death rates of about 3% of the population. 1 to 3%. We're talking here about a war just before Christ comes that will take care of 25% of our population. On top of that, we read through the prophecies of God that God sends plagues and he sends famine and he sends disease, all which kill great numbers of people on this earth. Everything increases until a great and final end, which we often know and which so many people know as the Battle of Armageddon. This is the great and final war of God. This is what ushers in, finally, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It comes about the Antichrist blames the Jews for the destruction of his capital, and he brings the world against them. And as the the Jews in Jerusalem are under siege, Christ returns in power and glory with his saints from on high, and he brings judgment to defend his people and to bring ultimate victory. It is a tragic and horrible end in terms of humanity to this great thing. It happens in the valley of Megiddo, which is why it's called the Battle of Armageddon. We live in dark days when sin influences every part of creation. Every aspect of what we live in and who we are is influenced by sin. So for most of the world, for most of the people in the world, these events that we see happening through history and these calamities that come upon us, they make no sense. Why do these evil things happen? Why is the earth groaning like it is? Why are these troubles and tribulations and trials and and catastrophes coming? And so they cause panic and worry about the end of the world and about the survival of humanity. What is going to happen to us? What is going to happen to this world? How do we fix it? How do we save it? What is going on? If we go back to our thoughts from 1 Thessalonians 5, so, well, Paul begins by saying that there is darkness, and we live in a world of darkness, and most people are in this darkness, and they don't know what's going on. They don't know just because they can't see. He says to us, but you are light. As the people of God, you are light. You know what is coming. This is what Jesus is describing in Luke chapter 1. He is telling us what's ahead. This is what, when we read through the the New Testament, we see the things that are predicted and, and into Revelation, and even the prophecies of the Old Testament. As we read these things, this is God telling us what is coming. We know what is ahead. For the believer, the state of the world... So as we look out at the world, as the people of God, as believers, we look out at the world and we see all these things going on. 
we see the trouble and we, we feel the, the pain and the difficulties of this world. And, and many believers are living in the midst of these catastrophes and troubles. And while they are difficult, we are not puzzled by them. This, we're not in the darkness, we're in the light. That is, we've been shown what is to come. We understand why it's happening. We understand the big picture of what all this is about, what it's leading to. Luke 21, Jesus is explaining what to expect and how to deal with it. The New Testament then continues to illumine us in that regards. You know, many believers, many Christians are often confused about the end times and about prophecy and find it very daunting and often stay away from it because uh, of what it is or, or, you know, or there's the other extreme where they just dive into it and, and read and that's all they think about. But so many Christians are daunted by it and confused by it. It seems, it seems unknowable. It seems too complex to understand God's program and what's going to happen. But what the Bible does is the Bible does promise us that there is blessing in studying God's program. There is blessing that comes to us by looking into God's future, by understanding what he has ahead. Much of our confusion, you see, and much of the, the trouble that we as believers have with end times and understanding end times is the result of too much speculation. So we look at things and we start to read too much into things and read too much into the world. And we talked about some of this on Wednesday when we talked about the Antichrist and so much about what people think about the Antichrist is just speculation and things that we assume about and which the Bible doesn't necessarily say. So, so much of our confusion and so much of what makes things daunting is we're trying to look too far. We're trying to read too much, speculate too much about it. But the end times and, and prophecy and you know, the theological term eschatology is like every other Bible doctrine. It takes study to understand it. It's the same when we're looking at the doctrine of salvation and understanding how and why God saves. Or even the doctrine as we look into his first coming and how he did that and what it means about who God is. Like every other doctrine, it takes effort and it takes work to read into it and see what God's word says. To understand God's work, we don't need to know when it will happen. You know, every, every person from the apostles until now have been asking when. We don't need to know who the Antichrist is. There are so many details that we don't need to understand to know what God wants us to know and to be able to be prepared for what is ahead. One thing that Paul reminds us of here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is, though we know what is coming, it gives us a very important position to be in. So he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
So because we know what is coming, because we are children of the light and we can see what God is doing, we understand what he is doing and we can see, this is because we know what is coming, prepare for what is coming. How is there value in knowing the information about the end times? Why study the end times, the last days and Christ's second coming? One of the important reasons for it is to be prepared. See, as we look into God's program, not just the beginning of it and as it's unfolded to salvation, but as we look at God's program as it projects forward into the future, we learn God's plan. We learn God's purpose. We learn his goal and his great end. There is so much about God and about how he works and about what his plan is that we can can see and understand and grow from as we look at the great work of God from beginning to end. Why is, is God so concerned with how we live now? These find their answers in understanding God's program. When we understand where it's going, what he is and is, we begin to understand why he says things to us now. Why he has laid things out the way they are now, because we can see where it is headed to. It allows you to prepare for his second coming. So our first thought this morning is, don't be caught off guard by God's second coming, by Christ's second coming. The second thought this morning that Jesus gives us in Luke 21 is, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what is coming. Verse 9 of Luke 21 says, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Find hope. Find hope in these words. Find hope in these expectations. You know, the, the Bible speaks about the second coming of Christ with words of, of such encouragement and, and hope. So we have places in like Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, speaking of the second coming of Christ, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the second coming of Christ is not for the believer all doom and gloom and tragedy and calamity. Why shouldn't we be afraid? Because these events of tragedy, it's not the, it's not the goal. It's not what we are called to. In fact, the second coming of Christ in all of its aspects is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. Even as we read in 1 Thessalonians, in in verse 2 of of chapter 5, it says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. for, For the unbeliever, this is all terrifying, unsettling, and uncertain. You imagine living in this world and seeing all that's going on and having to live through these pandemics and these wars and these calamities and all of these things and having no idea what the purpose of it all is. Having no understanding about where it's going or whether there is a purpose at all or if everything is just coming to an end and there's no purpose at all to it. That's a terrifying place to be. 
unsettling and uncertain. So when the world is in turmoil, it causes angst and anxiety. So Jesus tells us, when you see all of these things going on, when you see the wars, when you live through the wars, when you live through the, the, the pandemics and the, the troubles and the diseases and the distresses, when you see all those and when you live through those, do not be afraid. Do not be terrified by it. Don't give in to the fear. A global pandemic isn't to be feared. War, famine, pestilence aren't things to be feared by the believer. It's interesting, isn't it, as you look through you know, our, our current generation and in our history that Christians and Christian organizations are often the first responders to natural disasters and to trouble in the world. We have seen, even in recent days, Christians rush in to, to help in places where, where trouble and death may be a very certain outcome for them as they go in. We run to them with support and with aid. Why? We don't fear those things, but we see them as an opportunity to do God's work. We see the big picture We see a reason to invest our lives in reaching people with the gospel through these disasters and calamities. Rather than fear in these things, we find hope. Titus 2 verse 13, which we read a minute ago, reminds us that the return of Christ is our blessed hope. Blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, as we look forward to all these things, as we live through these tragedies, it is a reminder that Christ is coming again. The more of these tribulations and troubles we see around the world, they simply remind us that our salvation is near. Our Savior is not far away. As we go through all of this and we see the turmoil of the world and the turmoil of the people in the world, we are reminded that when Christ finally comes, everything that is wrong, everything that we see here, all of these troubles and trials and, 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 and distresses, everything that is wrong will be made right. It will be what it was intended To be, our God returns in glory and power. He conquers sin and he conquers death. And our Savior returns, bringing the completion of our salvation. These last days are not days to be feared. They are days to find hope. 1 John tells us this this is not just a, uh, a blessed hope. But he reminds us that these days and the expectation of Christ coming is also our purifying hope. It says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Second coming of Christ is our blessed hope, and it is our purifying hope. We are the children of God. The great end of Christ's coming is that we will be like him. We will be pure. We will be in a place without sin and be without sin. You know, I read a pastor say just, just this morning that his, his hope for heaven and, and what he longs for in heaven is not the streets of gold and it's not the great mansions that will, will be there in eternity. His great hope of heaven is the absence of sin because he's tired of sin. What a glory that will be when we will be able to live without sin. And so we purify ourselves now. That is our great hope. So find hope. Secondly, find comfort. Verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We are not under God's wrath. These trials and these tribulations and these calamities, they are not God's wrath on us. They're the outworking of sin in this world and they are the moving of God to bring to an end all that is wrecked by sin. We are not under God's wrath and here he's speaking of God's eternal wrath. All of this is not leading for the believer to a great and horrible end, but rather... All of this is leading to a great and glorious end. You remember how it describes it as, as a, a woman in labor. The pain is intense and, and, and terrible in many places in, in birth for women. But then at the end, the beautiful child. And this is why the second coming of Christ is like that. The, the trouble is intense as it comes. But then for the believer, the great blessing and joy. Find hope, find comfort that we are not under God's wrath. In fact, we are to be with God forever, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The great end for the believer is eternity with God. The first coming made his second coming glorious. His first coming where he died for us and paid for sin is what can make his second coming glorious. As we believe him, believe that he died for us. Find hope, find comfort, and finally, find God. One of the reasons we can look at these things and believe that Jesus, when he says, do not be afraid, is because we are reminded that God is in control. These are days of faith, not days of fear. We don't fear these days because we trust God. In trusting God, we find hope and we find comfort in him. The very way that Jesus describes this 
for us tells us that God knows what he is doing. He knows what is going on. He knows this isn't the end. He knows the end from the beginning. The world appears to be in chaos. But it's not in chaos. It's in divine direction. God knows exactly what is going on. And in this control, in this place, as a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who has been saved from their sin by believing that Jesus died in our place, God is for you. As we will see moving forward through Luke chapter 1, you will see even more intensely how much God is for his people during these times of the last days. It will lead through pain to glorious joy. The world can be a very frightening place sometimes. 2020, that's been some kind of year so far, hasn't it? What, what a year this has been. It began with, with bushfires followed by floods in some places of Australia. Then there was the confusion over the coronavirus that swept through as, as we didn't know what to do with it and, and things closed down and, and everything changed for us. And now we're rolling into what is the economic impact of all of this and that's only just beginning. And, and while we're just trying to get through this, this pandemic, we're seeing riots in the United States which have spread around the world. It leads many to plea what is going on? What kind of year is this? What kind of life is this? What kind of world are we in when in six months, less than six months, so much can be turned upside down? The answer to the question, what is going on? Is we are in the last days. And Christ will be back soon. He will return. So now, now is the time for God's people not to give in to fear. It is our time to rise in confidence, to serve God with fervor, to proclaim his glory and his gospel with boldness. That is what these times are for. The end is near. Maybe that sounds corny to you. Maybe it reminds you of the old days with the, the guys with the sandwich boards on. The end is nigh. But it's the truth. The end is near. Christ is coming back. And he is coming back in power and glory. Do you know what will happen? As believers, we do. We know what will happen. So be prepared. Be living for it now. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the world is in chaos. It seems completely chaotic. And I'll be honest with you completely here I'm not going to try and save your feelings. It's going to get worse. 
This is just the beginning. It is going to get worse right now. At this moment, as you listen to me talking, as you hear the word of God being read, you have an opportunity to change your future. So that the future of what is ahead when Christ comes back is not chaotic and disastrous and terrible and horrible, but rather is full of hope and glory. It's all about what you do with Jesus first coming. Believing that the reason he came the first time was to die for you to pay your debt of sin so that you could be freed from his wrath, freed from condemnation and find the joy, hope and peace of eternal life that God gives in forgiveness. Believe he died for you to deliver you from your sin and he will save you and the future will become something very different. The world will look very different, brighter, more glorious. Christ is coming again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this morning, to set our minds on what is ahead. Dear God, it's true, it can be unsettling. Dear God, you tell us not to fear, but truth is we look at the events that surround us, the events that will come, they are terrifying events. And while we understand you saying to us not to fear, we understand that that doesn't mean don't take them properly, don't treat them lightly, for they are serious events. But you tell us not to fear because we can trust you. You know what's going on. You are in control of it. And so, dear God, help us as your people to rise up as the people of God, to serve you and to be preparing for your coming so that others will know your salvation, so that others will be able to see this world through the eyes of light and not darkness. We praise you and thank you for these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.